We are continuing our study uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We have been, over the course of the past few weeks, looking at just the very first chapter, kind of introducing you to uh, this letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, Last week in particular, uh, we looked how the gospel was resounding among the Thessalonians, how it was going from the Thessalonians, how they received uh, the gospel from the Apostle Paul, and then how they imitated Paul and went out and shared the gospel and how it went out to the whole community and beyond. Uh, In chapter 2, as we shift our attention, uh, we are looking at a problem that Paul has, not with the church per se, but with uh, the people that may uh, be in opposition to Paul's ministry. So, Paul went to Thessalonica, and I mentioned this at the very beginning in the first sermon. In that uh, visit to Thessalonica, he spent about three months, uh, or three weeks there, about four weeks, somewhere in that range, ministering the gospel until he was eventually kicked out um, of the city. Uh, There was opposition that Paul faced. And so now he's addressing that opposition here in chapter 2. So with that, why don't we turn to the text and see what motivates Paul in the face of such opposition. What motivates Paul in the face of such opposition? So let's turn to the text. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. You can follow along in your bulletins or your Bibles, uh, but hear God's word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness to, in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, I ask for your help to minister your word. I ask that our hearts would be open to receive it, and that through receiving it, we might be changed, that we might exalt you, that we might grow in our knowledge of you, and that we might go and share you with others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm curious if you ever ask yourself, why did I do that? Like anything that you do, like, why did I do that? Sometimes I'll ask my kid, why in the world did you do that? Right? What motivated that thing that you just did? Um, uh, oftentimes, uh, I, so here's the thing. I think, I think of myself as fairly self-reflective that I often examine motivations for the things that I do.
be honest with myself. Most of the time, I do things for good or for ill uh, without a clear reason in my mind or without really analyzing why I do the things that I do. If for, for chance, maybe I reflect on my motivations for something that I've done, I, I get uncomfortable. And the reason that I get uncomfortable is that I start to recognize the fact that I often do things that are quite self-serving. You. Maybe not. Maybe your motivations are pure. Johann Sebastian Bach and George Frederick Handel, they both uh, signed their uh, compositions with SDG, or I think Bach did, maybe they wrote it out, I'm not sure, but SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, means to God alone be the glory. Right? They, they did this amazing work of music, and they, they said, this, this, my motivation, my, my, my goal in this is to give God the glory. This morning, as we look at the text, I want us to consider what it means to be motivated, not for personal glory but rather motivated by the gospel for God's glory and the good of others. I want us to consider what does it mean for us to live lives that do things for the glory of God and for the good of others. As someone in full-time ministry, I find the particular passage that we've just read uh, 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 quite a challenge. Uh, it forces me to ask this question, why am I up here? What's my motivation to preach? Why do I stand in front of you? Um, I realize that there are challenges to the pastorate, for sure. Some people might not want to be pastors for various reasons. Um, but there are also some things that could be temptations for ministers. Some things that might motivate somebody like me up front. And, and this is a warning to my interns. So, Rome, if you're listening, Isaac, if you're listening, these are pitfalls that we can fall into. So, money, power, influence, reputation, accolades, the affections of people, along with a whole host of other things that can draw somebody like me into the ministry. And we see this in this text, particularly because the Apostle Paul is a preacher. He's an apostle. He's gone, been sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ to bring the gospel. And so we see these things that could potentially be pitfalls for someone like him. Of course, those things don't necessarily attend to the ministry, but they certainly can become motivations. But I think, even if you're not a minister of the gospel, if you have no desire to be a minister of the gospel, I think we can all ask the question, why do I do what I do, whatever that thing is? And as we will see in this text, we can boil the question down to this. Am I motivated by my love for God and love for others, or am I motivated by my own selfish gain, whatever it is that I get out of it? My hope as we reflect on our heart's motivations and as we reflect on the gospel, like Bach and Handel, we will say, soli deo gloria. So that's where we're headed today. May it be our cry, to God alone be the glory.
So to do this, there are uh, three things. First, I want to look at the obstacles in glorifying God, namely self-glory. Second, I want us to consider the power that we have to, in fact, glorify God, that it comes through gospel motivations, specifically. And then finally, I want to think about the produce or the product of glorifying God, pleasing God and loving others. Glorifying God and loving others, different ways to say it. But first, the obstacles in glorifying God, uh, namely self-glory. So why, why did Paul have to defend himself here? Did you notice in this reading of the text that he, he sort of goes to bat? He says, I didn't do it for these reasons. This is why I did it. This is why I came to you and preached the gospel. Um, I want to I wanna, uh, uh, consider for just a minute what it, what it looked like in the world of Thessalonica uh, at this time. And not just Thessalonica, but really the Roman world at this time, and especially the area of Greece that we're looking at, Macedonia, Greece, um, was a place that was uh, a fertile ground, if you will, for all sorts of preachers, all sorts of religious people, all sorts of philosophers, all sorts of people that might come and share the, the, the knowledge and the wisdom that they have. Uh, I, I, I kind of... Uh, liken it to sort of um, uh, maybe even Western America, you know, Western world in America, the freedom that we have of religion. There's all sorts of voices out there saying, I've got the truth. Listen to me. It was very similar at this time. Uh, Paul was in a world where it was not uncommon for an itinerant minister to come and to, to, to come to the, to the community and say, I've got the news. I've got the information. I've got the knowledge, uh, come and listen to me. And there were all sorts of things that, of course, motivate that, right? Things that we've already talked about, money, power, uh, prestige, uh, all sorts of things that might motivate uh, uh, people. Maybe the believers here in Thessalonica, though intuitively they, they understood that Paul had not been a, 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 somebody out there for a personal gain, they kept hearing that charge within the community. Oh, yeah, you follow Paul. Oh, he's just in it for the money. Oh, you follow Paul? Do you know how Paul lives? Have you seen the kind of lifestyle he lives? I, I bet you don't know what he does in, in behind closed doors. Um, have you seen Paul? He's all about making a name for himself, becoming prominent, becoming well-known. It's all about Paul. Have you, have you, haven't you seen this? You can hear the voices that the Thessalonians were hearing. And, of course, Paul had, had, had to leave. He was gone. He couldn't defend himself. And so they're wondering, did, were we wrong? What, was Paul really that kind of a deceptive person that he came just for personal gain? And so Paul here defends himself. And these charges that I've just described underlie the text here. First, we note that Paul defends his moral standing. Notice here uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse uh, 2 and 3 um, and 4. So he says, We had already suffered, been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, and we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt 
to deceive. Paul's saying, I didn't come to you in a way that was duplicitous. I didn't come to you in a way that was, was just trying to, trying to dupe you into something, to use that more colloquial way of saying it. Uh, in fact, at this time, it was, this is very common in the religious world, especially in the pagan world, uh, tied to the religion, whatever the religion was, there was often a cult experience. And in that cult experience was uh, they would have sometimes prostitutes involved. Uh, so, so religious leaders would, would go to the, the temple that, that, that whoever it was to, and they would, well, they would go visit the prostitutes. Um, and so maybe some people were saying, you don't know who Paul is. He's just another religious leader like all the other religious leaders. He's calling you to live this life of moral purity and, and you know, maintaining all these bonds of, of sexual purity and whatnot. But, you know, he's a religious leader. Wink, wink, nod, nod. People, as they say, in power, play by different rules, right? And uh, I think that was the, the sort of caricature that was being promoted about the Apostle Paul. But Paul says very clearly here, uh, I did not come to you, we did not come to you from error or impurity or any attempt to de- deceive you. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God. The other charge underlying the text uh, here that we see that I just uh, described is that he defends himself from the charge of seeking fame and glory. I wasn't looking to please man. I was looking to please God. It was not for my glory, Paul says, or for our glory, meaning him and Silas, but for God's glory. Interestingly, Paul would have been a VIP, and meaning he was significant in the Jewish world and he was a Roman citizen. He had this sort of dual reality. He was an important person. He could have, not only that, add into the fact that he was also an apostle. He wasn't just a teacher. He was sent by Christ himself. He had all the rights to sort of claim fame and glory for himself. But he says, but that's not what we did. That's not who I was. He didn't come to tickle their ears and to tell them what they wanted to hear. He didn't look for glory. Third thing that we note is that Paul goes out of his way to say that he didn't preach on account of money. Uh, We know from Paul that he was an itinerant minister, but that he was also a tent maker, literally tent maker. We use that term because it comes from Paul. Uh, So if we think of pastors or missionaries who are bivocational, uh, they maybe are in a situation where they can't be paid in a full way, so they take up another job. And this was Paul. He didn't get paid but he took up a job uh, as a tent maker. You might ask, why would he do that? One of the reasons is because it was so common in this world for religious people to come through and say, I've got knowledge, give me a buck, right? For $29.95, I will tell you how you can reach heaven or whatever, right? Um, 
I need it in you know weekly installments, and uh, I'll give you a, a, a free sample of what I have, and then if you like it, you know just give me the the rest. Um, anyway, Paul said, "No, I don't want anything to do with that world the way the religious." people of his day did it. I want you to know that I came not for greed. You know God is my witness. I didn't do it for money. I did it to glorify God. But the very reason that Paul had to defend himself from these charges was because these motivations were often the case for these itinerant religious preachers. His opponents were cynical. Of course he's motivated by greed, or of course he's motivated by fame. Of course he wants something for himself. What else would motivate him? Why else would he come to our town, disrupt our lives, turn folks away from our religions and traditions, if not because he has something to get out of? So you can, you can kind of hear the voices of his opponents. But here's the thing. The truth is that money, power, influence, fame, pleasure, and a whole host of other things often are tempting motivations. They're easy to get there, right? We're, we, we can easily see how those become motivations in our lives. Um, and, and these are all a, a little subset, if you will, of this big idea, which is we ultimately seek our own glory. That's our sin nature. We want glory for ourselves. Here in the U.S., and I would even say this is not just sort of under the surface. This is, in fact, the highest ideal of our society, that we would seek our own glory. You do you. Self-actualize. Become who you are. Go after it for yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. It's all about you. These are the messages that are constantly, we are bombarded with as a society. Your glory matters. Carl Truman, in his recent tome, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, um, argues that we live in the age of the psychological self. In other words, we live in a time where we define ourselves, and I would say motivate ourselves, since we're talking about motivations, by our feelings and desires that we want. What, what do I feel right now? What do I want? What makes me happy? What, what thing can I have that will give me the greatest pleasure? If it, feel good, if, if it feels good, it is good. Right? It's the world we live in. If it feels good, it is good. If it doesn't feel good, then it's bad. <laughs> Often these good feelings include those base desires, right? Money, fame, power, influence, sex, etc. Um, I think if someone says, I'm in it for the money, the, the irony here is, if someone says, I'm in it for the money, we look down on them, right? Like, really? You're just in it for the money? But if someone says, I'm in it to have a secure, stable, and successful life, we pat them on the back. <laughs> right? It's like, I, 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 don't misunderstand me. Having success and financial security are not bad things in and of themselves. But we have to ask the question, what is my motivation? Why? Is it for that? Is what I'm going after is is 
financial security. That is my ultimate aim. I want, I'm in it for the money. Same thing with power and fame and influence, right? If I say boldly, I'm in it for power, fame, and influence, we look, our, we look down at you, right? Like, you're really, you're in it for power, fame, and influence. But, but if we say, I want to help influence people and be in a position to make real change, we pat them on the back. Again, influencing people and being in high positions or being prominent is not in itself the problem. That's not wrong. In fact, that could be a very good thing. But again, it goes back to what is your motivation? Is it to be in that high place where you can, you can be in power and control and have influence and fame and glory? Like, is that your aim? And I think it, I would say this, as I tried to show you, it's very easy for us to trick our minds into thinking my motivations are pure. Very easy for us to do that. Oh, I'm not in it for the money but I need to take care of my family and do what's best. Of course you need to take care of your family and do what's best. But do you see the subtleness of that? And the truth is, our motivations are often very mixed. I'm going to just self-reflect, since I'm telling you all to self-reflect. Personally, I really love to help people. I love to help people. This is good, right? We want... We, good thing. We need to help people. Um, But underlying it are a whole bunch of unhealthy motivations that I often find lurking. Uh, I told you about the sermon that was preached yesterday. I realized that sometimes I want to be the Christ. I want to save people. As a minister, this is a huge temptation. I want to be the one to go in. Your life's a mess. Let me help you and save you, right? And rather than saying, Let me show you Jesus. Of course I want to help, but see how subtle that temptation is. Or, I want to be liked by you all. Huge temptation. By helping you, you might like me more. You see? I want people to praise me. You see see the motivations that come out as we start to look at our hearts and wonder why we do the things that we do. Our motivations are get out of whack. I would argue that the root of our issue goes all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve were not content with being cared for by God. They wanted to be like God. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they thought it offered them access to glory. At least that was what the serpent argued. But here lies the fundamental problem. We want a piece of glory, something that is ours, something that we can claim as our own and have folks look at us and praise us for. And it all comes in different ways and shapes and sizes. And when we get it, in the end, what happens? For Adam and Eve in the garden, rather than receiving glory, after eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they lost glory. They became glory-less. They were ashamed They hid themselves from God and from one another. They were cursed to die. They faced the wrath and curse of God because they were seeking something that did not belong to them. And it's the same for us. 
Our hearts seek glory that is not our own. We seek to please men rather than to please God. And so how do we get out of that loop, that human rat race, right? That's what it is. It's the rat race. How do we escape the psychological self? Paul, how can you say with such confidence, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests the hearts? How do we get to that place where Paul is able to say that? Well, he's just Paul. He's special. The rest of us can't get to the place of Paul. Um, But this is my hope. The power and ability to glorify God as our primary motivation comes through the gospel. This is how we can do it. So notice where Paul begins his section uh, in this, this passage. What does he begin with? He begins with suffering, right? He says here, you know, we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, and we had with boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Huge suffering. Paul says that he came with boldness to preach the gospel despite the fact that he had suffered in Philippi and had been shamefully treated. Throughout this section, all the way up through this passage and into verse 9, three times, three times Paul repeats this claim that they came and preached the gospel of God. So you see it twice in, in, our, in our little section, but if you add in verse 9, he says it again, we came to preach the gospel of God. In other words, there's nothing that will stop his sharing the good news that comes from God. So Paul is out there, he's saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, whether it means suffering, whether it means dying, so that you can hear the good news. What motivates him? How is that possible? To face all sorts of conflict, all sorts of trials. Now, in our community group, we discussed this passage and we talked about motivations and we said, you know, there are other groups of people that are motivated enough to die for their cause, right? We can think of maybe um, the jihadist warrior or we can think of uh, some other patriot even or some, uh, you know, other religious leader might be willing to die for their cause. And we, we ask the question, what distinguishes that from Paul? So, right, Paul's a religious leader. He's willing to die for the sake of the gospel. Well, how does he differ? I mean, it's, is there really a difference? I would say there's an absolute difference, and here's the difference. The gospel stands out among all the things in the world that might motivate zealots and true believers. Why? Because there is no earthly way for us to glory in it. What do I mean? You remember Jesus as he was heading to the cross and Peter looked at Jesus and said, this is our moment, this is our moment. We're gonna, we're gonna bring about the kingdom of God. All's gonna be restored. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah, he's come. And so Jesus says, I have to suffer and die. And Peter says, no, no, that's not the way, Jesus. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Turn away from me. Don't don't tempt me with that. Don't tempt me with earthly glory. That's not why I've come. And then he goes on and he says, if you would like to follow me to, to gain life, you must lose it. 
This is what the Christian life is, to lift up your cross and follow me. What distinguishes the gospel is that the way of glory is the cross, not earthly glory. It's not earthly glory. Friends, the things that enable Paul to press on to Thessalonica after being imprisoned in Philippi, kicked out of Philippi, was the gospel. Paul understood what it meant to be motivated by glory and power and control. Paul understood all those earthly things, right? Paul was a well-known person before his conversion. He was a persecutor of uh, the, the Christians. He was a prominent Jewish leader. He was an authority in Scripture. He was a Roman citizen. He had the authority to put people to death. He understood what power and control and authority meant. Paul had it all. That was until he met Jesus. There on the road to Damascus, he came face to face with the Lord of glory, blinded by the radiance of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. All of Paul's supposed glory was stripped away. All that remained was Paul's guilt and shame. He was, in fact, a murderer, a persecutor of God's people. But in that moment of being confronted by the Lord of glory, shining a bright light onto his life and exposing him for who he was, at that moment, he became not only aware of his sin and the glory of Jesus, but he was grasped by the love of Christ for him, a sinner. Friends, do you know the good news? I know many of you have heard it over and over again, hopefully week and week and week in and out. Hopefully you never tire of hearing it. But do you remember it? What I mean is, do you remember how God loved you, a sinner? Like Adam, you who deserved death. That he loved you despite the fact that you tried to steal glory from him. Do you remember that the Lord of glory laid his glory aside, humbled himself, took on our shame and our sin, and bore it on the cross, enduring the very wrath of God for us? Do you know that truth? That you might share in his glory. For Paul, that realization came like a lightning bolt from heaven, and it changed him in an instant so that the Lord would use him to share the good news with the world. For many of us, our experience of the gospel motivations, the truth that Jesus died for us, wax and wane like the moon, <laughs> right? We go up and we're like, yes, I'm on fire for Jesus. I want everyone to know him. I want everyone to hear the good news. And then a week later, the, you know, the moon starts to wane. It becomes a slip. You're like me. That's how it goes, up and down. But as we look at the one who is motivated by love, willingly laying aside his glory to save me, as we look at him, as you look at him, 
that truth can't help but worm its way into our souls and into our hearts and motivate us, right? As we come to see the love of Christ for me, a broken sinner, I can't help but then go out and say, this is my motivation to bring glory to God in all that I do. Lord, how do I glorify you? How do I live for you? How do I not live for myself? And this brings me to my final point and conclusion. The produce of glorifying God, pleasing God, and loving others. For Paul, the gospel motivates him to share the gospel and the love of Christ, right? We see this in our text uh, over and over and over again, we see it. I've already read that, uh, that, that, that the, the various passages, but I just want to highlight a few pieces in particular. Um, he says, uh, we declared to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Literally, that word for much conflict is like in the midst of a battle. I was willing to go and declare the good news for you. It motivated him to such an extent that he was willing to go to battle for the hearts and lives of the Thessalonians. A little farther along, he says it here, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor for pretext for greed, God is my witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. See, the motivation drove him to, to care, with, care for these, these Thessalonians like a nursing mom to come alongside him. The word here for gentle, we are gentle among you, could be translated as we were babes among you, uh, or we were like babes among you. Uh, the word for gentle and babe is so close, and there's, there's some question mark which one it is. It doesn't matter. The, the picture is there, right? Like, like babes, we became like mothers. <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of a strange connection. But the, the picture is gentleness and care and love. He goes on and so, so being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves. See what the, the gospel motivation does? It takes the gospel, penetrates our hearts. We realize what the Lord has done for us, and we say, how can I give my life for others? We gave ourselves to you. Now, the question for us, I think, is, how do we fit into this story? Because Paul is an apostle. He's gone to, to send, he's been sent by Christ to go and share the good news. Not all of us are called to do such ministry. So how do we do this? Well, the first thing I'd like to note is that he was indeed sent. This was what the Lord had put on him. Notice it says here in verse uh, uh, verses 3 and 4, uh, for our appeal does not spring from error and, or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So the question is, what has the Lord entrusted you with? Maybe you are here this morning as, you know, you work for an insurance company, or you are an actuary, or you are a doctor, or whatever it is, you're a lawyer. What is your profession? You have to ask, this is what the Lord has entrusted me with. How now, how then do I glorify God by giving myself for him 
to others. How do I care for the work that's set before me, for the people that I interact with? How do I do that? We're called to please God, to bring him glory. But there's a second piece of this. Just because Paul was called to be an apostle doesn't get us off the hook for sharing Christ. I think one thing that we see here throughout this passage, as we think about what it means to please God and love others, is that we would be a people that share Christ. We go into the world, to our workplace, wherever we are, and we pray that the Lord would open up hearts, pray that opportunities would arise, pray that we would be able to share the wonders of the love of Jesus who gave up glory for us. How do we do it? With gentleness and care. Just as the Lord Jesus was gentle with us and patient with us, so we do that with others. We share ourselves just as Christ himself gave himself for us on the cross. That's our goal. Soli Deo Gloria. Let's pray.